Good afternoon and welcome to the Jason Rant Show on AM 770 KTTH, streaming live on all those smart speakers like Amazon Echo and Google Home. It is hot again, and most of us complained about it, especially if the AC in our office doesn't work, prompting a 270th call to get it fixed. But I'm definitely not going to be holding my breath, or I mean someone else who's experiencing that will not be holding their breath. And that's what's trending. What's trending? Weather apocalypse Mageddon. Did I overshare? No. No. How hot is my office? Your office is pretty hot. How do I like my office and my studio? Very cold. How cold is it right now? 45. 45 degrees. You see what that is over there? That's an icicle that's starting to form. I like it to be very cold. And when it's very, very hot, I definitely, definitely, definitely need it to be very, very cold. And yet it feels like I'm being punished. That's what I, I it's an anti-conservative thing. You think that's what it is? I'm convinced. How is it possible that the air conditioning is still broken in my studio or in my office? How is it possible? It's been fixed, quote unquote, maybe, and I'm not exaggerating, 30,000 times. That's a legitimate, it's that literally. Is it, it breaks a lot. It breaks a lot. Probably because you overuse it. I don't overuse it. It's just on and it never works. I think it's only worked consistently for one week and work week. Five days. That's it. And today, it was rather hot in Seattle. In fact, when you look at Seattle, kind of hit lower 90s, mid 90s. Same with Tacoma and Bremerton. When you look at Shelton, it's 100 degrees right now. Oso is 95. Redmond is 95. It, It was hot again. It was hot again. And when you're a parent and you've got kids who whine as much as I do about the weather, you got to figure out what you're going to do. And so this mom, speaking with our sister station at Cairo News Radio, took her kids to a park in Tacoma. Our house was down a couple summers ago. The AC was down and it was upwards of 85 degrees in her room at night. And that was when she was a baby. And it's terrifying. Yeah. See, I'm right to be concerned. You don't have to just be a baby. But what are you supposed to do when it gets so hot? Jason Rance presents innovative ways to stay cool during heat mageddon. Stay in the shade. Now back to the Jason Rance Show. Again, sometimes it's just really obvious advice that people refuse to take. I find that to be a very innovative solution to it being hot. Go in the shade if you're outside. It's a decent idea. Yeah, just saying. The North Central Cascades right now under a red flag warning. East Pierce Fire and Rescue Assistant Chief Bill Sandlion, or Sandlion, I like Sandlion better. He tells Cairo 7 TV that the crews are gearing up for the hot, dry, unstable conditions. We have a county resource plan already in place. So if a big event does pop off, those plans are already in place. We follow the playbook and we we get those resources that we need and order them early. Now he says since July 4th, the department has responded to 75 vegetation fires. The good news for those of you who don't like the heat like at all, and I'm on the scale of 1 to 10 of hate, I'm naturally at a 10 for everything, but on heat, it's it's especially bad. 
The good news is tomorrow it starts to cool down. Overnight it's going to start cooling down. In fact, tonight they think we'll get into the low 60s, mid-60s, which is going to provide a great relief to a whole host of people. I don't know how far inland that goes. I'm assuming you're still miserable as you normally are if you live in Yakima. Let's be honest. It's always hot there. Even when it's cold, it's hot there. So that's good news. But for those of you who can't wait and you're, you're, you're listening right now on the app and you're outside and you're warm, you're s- trying to survive. Jason Rance presents innovative ways to stay cool during heat Mageddon. Drink water. Now yep. back to the Jason Rance show. Drink some, stay hydrated. Always stay hydrated. Did you know that? Stay hydrated. You've made fun of my oversized water bottle previously, so I'm a little bit confused as to what You can what to stay do. hydrated with a smaller jug to carry your dirty water. How do you know it's dirty? Because you get it from here. It's fair. <laughs> That's how I know. You think the AC is the only thing that doesn't work? Our filter system doesn't work either. That's what that weird taste is. Oh. Yeah. You thought you had some sort of like gum disease? No. I mean, you might also have that, but it's the water. Yuck. Just real quick before we move on, can I uh, can I make a an observation? I think you will, regardless of yes, what I say. You are correct. So you know how sometimes the city of Seattle allows you to sign up for text alerts should something major happen, something very disruptive, yeah. and out of the norm. Yeah. So we got the first alert about the traffic disruption on I five about three hours after it had occurred and it cleared at what time did we say about four o'clock ish yeah even a little bit before that i think so we said it was cleared this was a a horrible story a officer with the bellevue pd fell 60 feet from 520 into the i-5 sort of over change during the kamala harris motorcade we don't know how that happened, we don't know any of those details yet. There's going to be an invest. There is an investigation, and as of now, the last news we got it's it's encouraging news. He's alert. The officer is alert. He's aware of what happened. Because man, fifty to sixty feet fall, that's killing a lot of people. Like that, that's intense. And so, thankfully, he's alive. When it happened, obviously, it shut down the freeway because they needed to get him and and take him to the hospital. I just got an alert at 5.06 p.m. as I was complaining about the heat. Update, all lanes are back open on southbound I-5. They'd been open for over 90 minutes-ish. Yeah, we had that at 3.30. There you go. But I'm, I'm glad I got the, the alert at 5.06 p.m. That's really on top of things. If I ever were to get an alert that said, uh, nuclear bomb imminent, I will have already been uh, singed to nothingness. Take cover. Tsunami is about to hit as I'm already barely surviving the the overwhelming amount of water that hits my high-rise building. That That's how good they are. They're going to send me a, a text on November 15th. Don't forget to go out and vote. Ballots are due by 8 p.m. And just, just the, the cherry on top, November 15th, At 9.30 p.m., I'll get that text message. Thank you so much, 
city of Seattle. You really take safety seriously. Okay, now you can move on. What's trending in Trumplandia? President Trump was indicted, as we expected, out of Georgia, along with 18 other associates, including Rudy Giuliani, John Eastman, his lawyer, Jenna Ellis, friend of the show. She hasn't been on for a while, but she was on a ton during the Trump administration and during the campaign. She and many of the others are good people. There's a couple who I'm not familiar with. There's one who's definitely not a good person. She's a nut job. And then there's the the publicist for Kanye West who got involved in this somehow. The DA, Fannie Willis, is pretending that any attempt, any attempt to challenge an election is illegal. To the point where one of the acts around this conspiracy to overturn the election was Donald Trump saying he thinks there was fraud. Now, Hillary Clinton has challenged elections. Jimmy Carter recently said that an election was stolen. Stacey Abrams, of course, in Georgia, to this day, hasn't said she lost. So let's be clear that this is politically motivated. One of the acts was sending out a tweet that said, tune into OAN Network because they're covering the recall or they're covering a, a potential revote. That's listed in this indictment. And as I said early on in the show in the first hour, at some point, and it's different for everybody, but at some point, people start to become sympathetic to Donald Trump. There's like that, you know, there's the 30% of the base that just love everything about him and he can do no wrong. There's probably about an equal number of that on the other side who no matter what, Donald Trump is evil. No matter what, they will never side with him. Then there's that in between. Sometimes they like him, sometimes they don't. Maybe more times they don't like him than they do. And then they see indictment after indictment after indictment after indictment. And they start paying attention to some of the details of the indictment. Maybe they do some of their own research. And then quite quickly they find out, okay, I know you don't like him, but wait, what? You're doing this now? Why? Huh? Why'd you wait so long? Why did you do it right before the debates? Why did you push or why are you pushing for a trial right in the middle of the primary season? That seems awfully suspicious. And I seem to recall something similar happening under Donald Trump's administration where they just started to do some investigations to make sure that Hillary Clinton didn't break the law. Some of the Joe Biden associates at the time VP or post VP, but before he was president and y'all on TV, especially on MSNBC and CNN, you said that that's politicizing the Department of Justice to go after political adversaries. And you would only see that in a banana republic. And if only someone over at Grabian, which is a website that has access to endless amounts of television, if only someone over there would put together some sort of montage showing 
this double standard. Now that oh. he's got the right attorney general in position to do it, we now know they really have been trying to gin up criminal prosecutions and criminal investigations into the president's perceived enemies, politically motivated persecution, right? Courtesy of Bill Barr. I'll, I'll roll in the FBI on you. That's how banana republics work, right? The home of the 45th president of the United States has been raided by the FBI. Mr. Trump is using the Justice Department to go after his perceived enemies. I feel worried about the prospect of the Justice Department being used as a tool of this president She's or any in our little banana republic. Any capable prosecutor republic. can get a grand jury to hand down an indictment of something as innocent as a ham sandwich. Today, an indictment was unsealed. Huh. Charging Jack Donald Smith. J. Trump. Breaking news on former but President Trump. From, He's oh. been indicted for the fourth time in five months. Bill Barr, on the president's behalf, oh, is weaponizing the Justice Department oh. to go after the president's enemies. When you win an election, you don't seek to just prosecute the losing side. The president using the Justice Department as a weapon to get what he wants. Oh, okay. But nothing to see here. Nothing at all. Sure, when we ask the DA whether or not she was working in concert with Jack Smith. She didn't want to answer. Sure, they posted the fictitious document before the grand jury even voted, and it just so happened to be an exact carbon copy of what was reported in the official document. But they said, oh, there was a re- there's nothing to see here. We're supposed to just pretend that all of this is normal. But for a lot of folks, as Brett Baer pointed out on Fox News late last night, you might be pushing people into his camp. You still hear some of the other candidates making the case, and effectively in some circles, that, hey, listen, I like Trump policies as much as the next guy, but you don't have to have the chaos and the baggage. Um, But more and more you're hearing people in the middle of the road who were ready to not vote for Trump saying, wait a second, I'm sympathetic to this guy because they're giving him enough charges to put him away for a thousand years. Why is that? And what do these cases look like? And when some people dissect them, they don't see as much there there. Because there isn't much there there. Effectively, what we're talking about in this case and in the case with Jack Smith, you have a legal team and a team of advisors saying, We think we can challenge the election results this way. You believe that the election was stolen. I do think he legitimately believes that. Our job as your lawyer, as John Eastman pointed out, our job is to come up with a novel theory, legal theory, that we can advance to serve our client. Doing so does not break the law. If you don't like the legal theory that they use to try to question the results that's fine that's called subjective responses to a legal argument they happen all the time in front of judges it happens all the time in front of the supreme court we believe this law is unconstitutional because they introduced their legal argument or the opposite this is totally constitutional using the blah 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 standard and then the justices say we don't like this legal concept of yours get out of here Shut your dumb face. Get out. I think that was a direct quote one time from Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Shut your dumb face. Get out of here. And she used a bad word. I didn't want to do it on the radio. This happens all the time. And again, read the indictments. Read the indictments. 
You don't have to like a legal theory. You don't have to like Donald Trump. You don't have to like his end goal. But you do have to be honest. You do have to treat him equally. Especially when we're talking about folks who appear to be abusing their positions of power. And this will come back to bite them. I believe our system, Dan Newhouse made a point in the last hour. I believe the system will ultimately come out on top. The end result will be just. Don't know how long it'll take to get there. But that's usually what ends up happening. In almost all cases, that's what happens. But the system still allowed bad people, corrupt people to do bad and corrupt things. And that's going to be recognized by a lot of Americans who are going to lose their trust in the system. You don't want people to lose trust in institutions. That was the whole idea of the progressive left, right? This institution is illegitimate. The Supreme Court, illegitimate. We must tear it down. We must dismantle and rebuild. And even Chris Christie, who loathes Donald Trump, was saying, yeah, this is a little, this one's a little much. You didn't need to do this in state court. Well, th this is why I'm uncomfortable with what I read last night. Um, I, I think that uh, this conduct is essentially covered by the federal indictment, not with the level of detail that they cover it in this, but that's just a stylistic thing. Um, election interference is election interference. It's been charged by Jack Smith. And most of the time, what you'd see here would be a state court deferring to a federal prosecution, especially if that federal indictment had already been issued. Mm -hmm. So I, I think this was unnecessary. It was unnecessary. And by the way, Mark Meadows, who has been indicted along with the others, he just put in a request, a motion. I don't remember what the legal term is in this case, but he's moving forward to get this seen in a federal court. Now, part of the reason why I think folks like this DA moved it or kept it in the state's purview is because if it's a state law that has been broken, you cannot give yourself a pass when you become president. You can't just simply pardon yourself. You can when it comes to federal law, federal violations, but not when it comes to state. Now, the governor could um, could pardon you, I guess, but you, that's what I think is behind this. But what Chris Christie just said there has been the general standard. I don't know. Obviously, we've never seen this particular kind of case with the president, but we've seen similar incidences in which something was charged at a federal level or was going to be charged at a federal level that would end up going away from a state court. And you generally give the deference to the feds. We saw one here in King County, actually, a couple years ago. We had an incident. It was actually a story I broke in which a group of Antifa thugs and their enablers used quick dry cement to seal shut the door to the East precinct while cops were there. As they did that and cops were stuck inside, you had an individual who was setting fire to the exterior of the building. I forget his name. He came in from Alaska and he was living here, I think at the time, maybe three months, something like that. He had a, a grudge against cops because they arrested his brother, I believe. And cops ended up catching that guy and arresting him. And at first it was given to the King County prosecuting attorney's office. And it sounded like they were in fact going to charge this. But then the U S attorney came in and said, no, we're, we're handling this one. 
And so the King County Prosecuting Attorney's Office is like, okay, it's on you. It's up to you. Go ahead and take We would have done it, but okay, fine. They took it. They won. The guy, I think, is still in jail. So this happens very regularly. But not here. Again, it's going to be one of those things that will be seen as just a little bit suspicious. Once people start to pay just a little bit more attention. And we don't know whether or not Donald Trump is going to debate next Wednesday. He does have until next Friday to turn himself in. I imagine it's going to be later in the week next week. Unless he really wants to stick it to Fox News and skip the debate and then turn himself in on on Wednesday. Which I hope doesn't happen because we'll be carrying the debate live right here on KTTH. I actually want him to show up. Because he's going to get people on that stage who will defend him. They still want your vote, but they're going to defend him. Vivek Ramaswamy and some others have said, yeah, I'm going to pardon him because he is the victim of a police state. He made that statement just a few moments ago. And sure, they're going to turn their attention to him or maybe highlight themselves and their policies. But it also gives Donald Trump an opportunity to respond to what's going on and lay out some of the facts. And there are a lot of facts on his side showing this kind of abuse is going way too far and something needs to be done. And all he has to do is say, look, I'm the biggest victim of it. I know what it's like to be on the wrong side of the the state. I'm going to fix this if you put me back in office. I promise you. 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. You're going to be very upset when you learn about some of the details behind the failed operation to pull us out of Afghanistan. We're going to get into that next on The Jason Rancho. The Jason Ranch Show. Here to react, Seattle Talk Radio host Jason Ranch. And the rise of soft on crime laws and policies have made it worse. Our man in the Pacific Northwest, Jason Rance, is on that. And you keep on bringing up these extraordinary stories from Seattle. It's amazing. Long form. There's a book out that I started to read over the weekend. And just within the first few pages, I think you would join me in just getting angry. Angry about what happened as the Biden administration pulled us out of Afghanistan. The name of the book is Kabul. The untold story of Biden's fiasco and the American warriors who fought to the end. It's by Jerry Dunleavy and James Hassan, and both join me now. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Jason. Jerry, I'll start with you. Obviously, people think that they know as much as possible when it comes to what happened. But, I mean, the whole idea of getting all these pieces of details that people don't know, if they knew what was in this book— I think it would be even a bigger scandal for this administration. Yeah, I completely agree. And I, I do encourage people to read it because, you know, James and I, when we were when we were writing the book and we were thinking about writing the book and then we were writing it, we knew that there was a lot of terrible stuff. I mean, people saw just on their TV screens, we saw the chaos and the insanity. We saw Afghans clinging to planes and falling from them. We saw on TV the aftermath of of the suicide attack that killed 13 Americans and 200 Afghans um, who were trying to escape. So we could all see on our screens, this is bad. And so there's no real way of getting around that. But man, I tell you, we found some really disturbing stuff. And, you know, the, I, I think the most disturbing things to me um, ended up relating to 
um, what are service members on the ground in Kabul, at the Kabul airport, once the Taliban had taken over the whole country because of Biden's disastrous decision, the stuff that these Marines had to deal with while the U.S. had to rely on the Taliban to provide security, um, it's it's stuff that no one should ever really have to see. And um, and this deal, you know, that this sort of new deal that we cut with the Taliban to have them provide security while we tried to hightail it out of there. It was dangerous. And um, and, you know, I think that 13 American lives were lost probably because of it. James, you're an Afghanistan veteran. You received the Bronze Star. You're someone who obviously has a a direct connection to everything that went on in, in this pullout. How much of this do you think was foreseeable? Some of the problems? Uh, I think it was entirely foreseeable and, in fact, foreseen. Uh, exactly. And one of the things that we did was that we interviewed hundreds of people and we combed through uh, God only knows how many pages of documents, thousands and thousands, um, you know, from the Pentagon itself. And one thing that sticks out is that the military warned over and over um, that this is exactly what would happen. And, in fact, um, there's you know, been some talk about a July 2021 descent cable that the some embassy officials sent to Secretary of State Blinken, telling him that the embassy would be overrun in short order and, mm-hmm. and Kabul would fall, and that it was ignored. And the, uh, the State Department completely just disregarded those warnings. Uh, and they've withheld, uh, or they did for over a year, withheld that cable and its contents from Congress. And uh, Jerry and I were able to uh, learn that the two principal authors of that cable were, in fact, Obama administration, National Security Council alums. So it, it, this isn't even the case of just uh, just the military, you know, stamping its feet and saying, you need to hurry up and get things together, which they did. Uh, it, it was even... Uh, people that normally you would think would be of, of the same worldview as the, the Biden administration. Yeah. So it's entirely foreseeable. And um, the things that, that uh, Jerry mentioned, the bombing and, um, and plenty of other just atrocities that we detail in the book, uh, to say nothing of all the Americans and allies left behind. Well, uh, yeah, as a result. On that point, Jerry, how much of what happened is due to just – basic incompetence. You get into it a little bit at the end of the book, just not vetting folks who we were airlifting into this country. And it turns out a lot of them should not have come. And they ended up committing some pretty horrific crimes. Was that just due to incompetence? Is that a result of rushing an operation? What what came of that? Why did that happen? It's a great question. So President Biden made this decision to basically do a unconditional withdrawal, unconditional surrender of the country, essentially, in April 2021. And in very rapid order, the U.S. military completely left the country outside of a small troop presence in Kabul. And so this was done, this fast Biden-ordered military retrograde was done without doing any of the other things that we needed to do. The, the U.S. and the State Department never came up with a plan about what how we were going to get Americans out. 
the Biden administration, the State Department never came up with a plan about how are we going to get our Afghan allies out. As a result of that, the Taliban took over so rapidly, again, foreseen, as James pointed out, mm-hmm. took over so rapidly that the Taliban controlled the entire country, including Kabul, with us having to do all of this just out of a small airport um, in, the, in the capital city. But we had no plan for getting all these people out. And so it was just who, who could get to the airport, who could make it through that Taliban gauntlet, and who could make it through the gates. And so, you know, lots of people that that made it out. I have no doubt that, you know, many of them are, you know, decent folks, and they very well may have been, you know, at risk from the Taliban. But the vast majority of the interpreters and the people that served alongside our military, the Afghans who served alongside our military, those people were left behind because there was no plan for getting them out. And, and you know, it's a, it's a, it's a real tragedy. It, it is, and James. James if say, I can piggyback. Yeah, please do, because I, I, I am wondering, not only do you think this is just incompetence, but you also get into the fact that it was very territorial, just from a bureaucratic standpoint of different departments wanting to have their control over various aspects of this operation, and it just seems like it led to total chaos. Yeah, yeah, and I'll take those one at a time. Um, to, to piggyback on, on what Jerry said um, at, at the outset here, um, not only did it lead to people who had no connection being here and some people who shouldn't be here and committed you know, terrible crimes, but the, uh, to your question about incompetence and how this came about, I, I'd say part of it is a failure plan, but then a panicked reaction to mm-hmm. what they failed to anticipate. And, and the way... I think that manifested itself um, the most clearly was that the um, administration started getting very pointed questions at um, you know the daily press briefings uh, and the, the national security press briefings that they were giving about the withdrawals happening in real time on August 15th, 16th, 17th, about the number of people they had successfully evacuated. And the, the questions were basically, why so few? Mm-hmm. And um, at that point, the, the process for identifying and pulling Americans and Afghan allies through uh, was was slow, but picking up speed quickly. And uh, and we have this straight from Pentagon documents that basically President Biden ordered them to just drop almost all of the requirements that they had. Uh, and and fill every seat possible and just bring anyone through the gate who presented themselves as a family unit or just by word of mouth said that they had a connection in the United States. And within um, 12 hours, there were tens of thousands of people inside the wire that not only hadn't been vetted, but also overwhelmed the capacity of, of the airlift that they had. And what they had to do is shut down um, it, like it, entry to the airfield for two days until they could process all those people and get them out. And almost none of them were U.S. citizens. Almost none of them were allies. It was just a flight to the front. Yeah. And what happened there was then once they restarted and they went back to the old protocol, which is kind of an implicit admission that this was a mistake, uh, there were still too many 
allies and U.S. citizens to get out um, and not enough time. And that's why they kept pressuring for the gates to stay open, even though there was a very, very real threat to, uh, you know, of the suicide bombing that ultimately happened. Yeah. Uh, one special forces officer said that the Biden's decision to do that on the 18th, um, quote, set the stage uh, for the events that happened on the 26th. Um, it's It's just sad and tragic how this all went down. The, the book Kabul is a remarkable eye-opener. I hope people will get it. It's out today. It's called Kabul, the untold story of Biden's fiasco and the American warriors who fought to the end by Jerry Dunleavy and James Hassan. It's also put out by Center Street, which happens to be my publisher as well. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I, I really do appreciate it. Hey, thanks so much, Jason. Absolutely. Anytime. Appreciate it. Again, the name of the book is Kabul. It is out right now. Hope you'll check it out. You're listening to The Jason Ranch Show. When we come back, some quick hits. The Jason Ranch Show. Let's bring in our man in the Pacific Northwest, KTTH, Seattle talk radio host Jason Rance. Great to have you with us to tell people a little bit more about this. Jason Rance is in focus now. Jason Rance, thank you for your reporting on that. The Quick Hit. Well, Rachel Ziegler, or Zegler, who's a very talented actress, there, there's no doubt about it. I think she's very good. Uh, the problem is she's incredibly, insufferably annoying. And she is now catching some flack online for yet another interview in which she completely criticizes and slams the original Snow White story. The reason why she's even talking about Snow White is that Disney is remaking it because they are now remaking into you know live action all of their animated classics and in fairness i have been i haven't seen all of them but i've been pleasantly surprised by how good the ones i did see actually turned out to be but it seems like at least in the ones that i've seen including like the jungle book for example they stayed with the uh, you know original storyline pretty pretty much throughout the entire film it sounds like, according to Rachel Zegler at least, this new one is going to take some creative uh, turns away from what was part of the, the first film, which was – and by the way, you kind of understand why you might want to update some aspects of the movie, I suppose. But there was an interview that she gave, not even recently, but it just got – it started to go viral again on Twitter – but it was a, a conversation she was having with Extra, the television network. And it was, of course, done in early promotion of Snow White because the Snow White film itself isn't coming out until next year. And I want you to listen to the way that she talks about the material that she's now sort of reinventing with Disney and tell me if this sounds, number one, like an actress who's doing her film any favors, and number two, if it sounds like a movie that you would ever want to see. The original cartoon came out in 1937, yeah. and very evidently so. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. There's a big focus on her love story um, with a guy who literally stalks her. <laughs> yeah. Weird. 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 
He didn't literally stalk her. Oh, my God. So we didn't do that this time. (laughs) So no no prince or a different kind of prince? We have a different approach to what I'm sure a lot of people will assume is a love story just because, like, we cast a guy in the movie. Andrew Burnap, great dude. Um, Oh, but by the way, hey, um, Rachel, when you say that people, and she does it in such a condescending term, uh, condescending way, I think people will just assume it's a love story because we cast a dude as the prince. Well, we would assume it's a love story because that's what the film included. You you do know that, right? Like the original Disney, which was a take on a, a story that was dramatically darker than what Disney ended up doing. They had a tendency, you know, um, Brian yesterday was talking a little bit about this, how they have a tendency over at Disney to take some really dark stories or take dark material and then give it the sort of Disney treatment. Now they're giving it the Disney woke treatment. But the reason why someone might assume that the prince in this movie, regardless of the gender, she says as if a prince can be a woman. Yeah, it's going to be a romance because that's what the original was. Now, if you're taking a complete different look and it's not, in fact, a romance, okay, that's fine. But you, the, just the condescending way in which he talks about it is just so annoying. Um, it's, uh, it's one of those things that I think everyone's going to have their assumptions about what it's actually going to be. But uh, it's really not about the love story at all, which is really, really wonderful. And whether or not she finds love along the way is anybody's guess until 2024. Um, all no, of Andrew's really scenes isn't. could get cut. Who knows? It's Hollywood, baby. Yeah, that's stupid. His scenes are not going to get cut. Why is she so annoying? My God. His scenes are not going to get cut. You're not cutting a main character of Snow White unless you've completely redone the film. And again, up until this moment, for the most part, these remakes have been very similar to the animation. Just from a story perspective, from a, from a, a line perspective, almost to the detriment. The remake of Pinocchio was god-awful. That was the only one that I saw that I thought I... I thought, I don't think I can make it through this film. It's that bad. I I felt bad about myself, more so than I normally do, for sitting through that. It was awful. But that, too, was pretty close to the film or the animation, as far as I remember. So I can't tell if she's just trying to, like, push people away from this film or if she, like, like, confuse them as to what the movie is actually about because she thinks I guess it's kind of cute to keep people guessing as to whether or not this is going to be a you know loyal uh, remake of the original I, I don't know or is this a film that's completely different and woke the problem is it comes off as completely different and woke like remarkably different and woke and this is not the first interview in which she has been criticized for just her attitude she just has a really really weird attitude and it's in in a lot of ways i guess uniquely not even uniquely woke but uniquely gen z because she is obviously she's a pretty young actress i do know that they're singing in it so that part's the same because gal gadot or gal gadot is playing the witch and she sings I do also know that there is some controversy around Peter Dinklage in the movie. He said the seven dwarves are an insult, but in reality, it's also a little bit more complex. Now, Peter Dinklage is a great actor, 
He happens to also be a little person. And he talks about these kinds of issues in casting a lot. And in the past, he's certainly taken a position, or at least I recall him taking a position saying little people should eschew these kinds of roles that just are for little people, like the dwarves shouldn't, or in this case, the the seven dwarves, or in the case of the Oompa Loompas, you shouldn't just have to be an Oompa Loompa. And he did a conversation earlier this year about this issue as well. And he was talking about the film and he said he, number one, he said, oh, it's great that a Latina actress is Snow White, but then goes to say it's wrong to use outdated stereotypes about dwarves. He says, literally no offense to anything, but I was sort of taken aback. They were very proud to cast a Latino actress as Snow White, but you're still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. Take a step back and look at what you're doing there. It makes no sense to me. You're progressive in one way, but you're still making the bleeping backward story about Seven Dwarves living in a cave together. Have I not done nothing to advance the cause from my soapbox? I guess I'm not loud enough. Uh, Or it doesn't matter that maybe you shouldn't always look at these kinds of roles and say maybe we should give them a progressive and woke viewpoint or spin. Not everyone wants that in films. And sometimes it's okay to acknowledge that films might play into stereotypes. And I don't even remember, most, frankly, most of the storyline for, or at least the backstory for the dwarves. I, I... I remember vaguely some of their names, Sleepy and Dopey. Snarky, I think, was the talk radio show host one. But other than that, I don't really remember anything. It's based on an old film. If you get rid of even more aspects to what people liked about the old film, then just don't call it a remake or re-envisioning. Just say we're starting from scratch and we're inspired by Snow White. Just make a completely different film. But he goes on to say that there is some nuance in all of these conversations. And there is some nuance. There is. But he takes too much of a sort of a hardline approach to his position. And I'm not saying he's wrong to take the position from his perspective, because I imagine if I were him, I too would probably have a very similar perspective, but I probably wouldn't be so harsh about it publicly, because I would just say for me as a little person, I wouldn't want to take on this role. But you know what? For others, this is uh, due to their talent level. This is a good opportunity for them to earn their chops, to learn a little bit more about acting. You should take what you can get, and then you should advance to the best as you can. Because look, I did it too. That's That would be my take. But I'm not Peter Dinklage. He was very good, by the way, in that movie that I can't remember the name of. But he sang, and he I think he died at the end, but I don't remember. Do you remember that movie, the thing with that person and that story and the songs? 1-800-465-8770 if you want to send me a text. You are listening to The Jason Rant Show.